Hey, hi, I'm Bonnie. Welcome to this podcast, Make Joy Normal, where we chat about homeschooling and family life. With my co-hosts, Elizabeth and Christina, we address your questions and topics in a way that can create more joy in our lives. Please submit any questions you have by email or voice message in the links in the show notes. If you found this episode valuable, please share it with a friend, like, or leave us a review. That's how we get the word out. Thanks for trying to make joy normal in your own life. Oh, good afternoon, my dear listeners. Um, I am interviewing this morning an author who I've interviewed before, Michael Foley. Welcome, Michael. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so nice. So I, uh, Michael is the author of a few books, two of which are absolute favorites in our household. Uh, the number one being Drinking with the Saints, which uh, my husband got me several years ago for Christmas when it first came out. And we, it was just, we couldn't even believe that, you know, the cocktail making wife could have a Catholic book to make cocktails with. So we spent that first year doing all the cocktails out of the book. It was super fun. So I'll be talking a little bit about that book. <clears throat> you have a new book out called uh, Why We Kiss Under the Mistletoe. And another book, actually, since I interviewed you last, which was Drinking with uh, Drinking with Your Patron Saint. So they both sound amazing. I want to talk mostly about uh, Why We Kiss Under the Mistletoe, which sounds fascinating. Uh, the reason I uh, sort of came across... Um, uh, your new book, I didn't even, I wasn't even aware of it, was that I reached out to see if um, you might be available for an interview in the new year or whatever on drinking with your patron saint. And not only that, I discovered that uh, you, you, got, you and your wife are, are hosting a cruise, uh, a river cruise in Europe that's like a dining and drinking cruise, which my husband and I are both very interested in and, and hope to sign up for. So do you want to tell us a little bit about that cruise before we move into you as the the man? Absolutely, Bonnie. Awesome. Uh, my wife and I are really excited about this. No doubt. We are teaming up with Father Leo Petalinghug, who has his own uh, cooking show on EWTN. He and I have actually <laughs> co-written a cookbook called no Dining way. with the Saints. It's going Get to be out. in late February 2023. And uh, what we're going to do is host in late April 2023 um, this cruise through it's a riverboat Amazing. cruise it's a first class riverboat it goes through the Douro regions of Portugal and Spain we yeah. cruise down the river and then uh, cruise at night wake up to a new city tour wow. the city during the day and then go back to the uh, boat at night it's like a a floating hotel and you don't have to keep changing rooms and packing and repacking to get to different yeah. destinations. So it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to be visiting Fatima um, as the first stop. That's not on the wow. dual river, but yeah. we start in Fatima and then we get on the boat and there's an optional extension to Santiago de Compostela. So that's Amazing. going to be really exciting. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. We just got back from Europe. We were five weeks in Europe. We just got back last week. And the whole time we were there, we were talking about these river cruises, which we'd heard a lot about and just heard how amazing they are because they're smaller than the great big cruise ships in general, like going down rivers. So smaller groups, uh, but beautiful dining experience, but just the not taking your luggage everywhere with you while you go, right? So yeah, it sounds it sounds amazing. So can where can people access that information? I saw it on your Facebook page, but also Instagram? That's right. Uh, okay. We do have a Drinking with the Saints Facebook page, but there's okay. the, the homepage of drinkingwiththesaints.com also okay. has information about this. 
Oh, okay. The name of the company is Select Cruises, but just okay. go to drinkingwiththesaints.com and you'll, you'll see. That'll solve all your problems. Drinking with the Saints always solves all your problems. <laughs> I love that. Okay, so can you tell us a little bit about you and your family? Oh, absolutely. So I am married to my wonderful wife, Alexandra. We've been married for 24 years. As a matter of fact, wow. we're going to have our 25th wedding anniversary on the cruise next year. Get out! Because our anniversary is May 2nd, so we'll be uh, floating somewhere in Europe on that date. Beautiful. Um, we have six children. Our oldest is 23, graduated from college wow. last year, and our youngest is 11. And I teach in the Great Texts program at Baylor University, which is in Waco, Texas. Okay. Okay. I wondered if uh, writing books about cocktails and saints was your day job or if you had some other day job. <laughs> well, the, the irony is Baylor is the world's oldest and largest Baptist university. <laughs> and it is also a dry campus. So, That's funny. you know, my day job is teaching at Baylor, but then at night I write about two things that most Baptists don't think about, right. saints and alcohol. <laughs> I love that. Your alter ego. Do they know? They do know. Although okay. I, I will be honest with you, to play it safe, I, I did get tenure first. Right. Good idea. Before I started idea. writing cocktail books at Baylor. <laughs> I love it. And you guys homeschool as well, right? We do, yes. No, okay, that's one of the main fantastic. reasons why we drink. Yeah, <laughs> I, I totally hear you there. <laughs> I love it. And if you're going to drink, you know, drink well, right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so can you, um, I'm just going to share with you guys, you and my listeners, my, my sort of experience with your book. Um, several years ago, what year did the book come out? Because I think I got it in 2015, that 2016. That's correct. That's the year it came out. Okay. So that year, my mom had planned, she had been really into Downton Abbey, and she had planned a Downton Abbey party. She wanted to hold it at our house, right? And I didn't know why. I'd never watched Downton Abbey, so I didn't know why she wanted to have it at our house. But we have a lot of wood, and we have a great big wall of bookcases and all that. And I realized after watching it, oh, okay, what well, looks like the study or something, you know? So... So we started watching Downton Abbey in preparation for this big family Downton Abbey party that we were having. And I was watching the, the whole cocktail thing roll out. And I thought, okay, this is cool. I am, I am totally going to take on that role in, uh, in the Downton Abbey party. I'd never made cocktails, you know, other than a gin and tonic. But uh, anyway, so I kind of got into some Prohibition era cocktails at the time. And then sort of started expanding out over the next few months, trying different things. And then Drinking with the Saints came across our, our uh, radar. My husband got it for me for Christmas. So we literally went through that first year probably at least three times a week trying a different cocktail from from uh, whatever this feast day was. We thought, let's just try it. If, it. if it's the feast day, let's just give it a shot. So, yeah, so it was a great experience. And it was really good for me as a learning tool. But I would say more than all, uh, more than all of that is that the book isn't just about cocktails, right? You actually really learn something about saints and we're pulling it out all the time for information on different saints, right? And different feast days and, and what they mean. And, and your writing style is very engaging and, and uh, just a, a wonderful read. So if for somebody thinking, well, I'm not into cocktails, it's just an engaging, fun, delightful um, book on the saints and different feast days and ways we can celebrate them. Absolutely. So. And one of the greatest compliments I got after the book first came out 
was uh, friends of a friend, large family, Catholic family. One night they went around the table and asked every member of the family, what's your favorite book? And the five-year-old answered, Drinking with the Saints. <laughs> and the reason why he answered was uh, his mom and dad would read the story of the saint out loud at night um, before the two of them would then have their cocktail. And he had never heard the stories of the saints before. So wow. when I wrote the book, I assumed, you know, Catholics would have a wide familiarity with the saints, but they may need to be introduced right. to different cocktails. Um, right. But, but it, we actually have so much to learn about the saints. And, and I was surprised about how much I learned about the saints in the course of No research. doubt. Yeah, and it's an interesting exercise because I am a, I'm an adult convert. So for me, the saints was actually a very slow process in coming, you know, because there's, you're kind of, as a convert, you're kind of blown away by the amount of Catholic stuff that you could uh, potentially get into. And I was kind of overwhelmed by the saints. And, and I think that this is, gives us a little introduction that's, that's lighthearted because a lot of times saints books can be a bit, um, a bit pithy. Why, how I ended up learning more about the saints was actually a children's saint book, you know, had the day, a saint of the day every day. But, you know, we, it's not something and our culture is busy. So taking the time to celebrate or acknowledge the saint of the day isn't always something we can access easily, right? Just, it can feel like one more thing. But if there's a cocktail involved, it takes all that out of it. <laughs> That's exactly right. It's a beautiful thing. So thank you for that because uh, it's really, it's really added a lot to our life. So, I'd like to talk to you about your new book. Um, so why we kiss under the mistletoe? So I'm, I pulled this right off Amazon. This is very official. Michael Foley dives deep into the history of Christmas and the customs that surround this beloved holiday. Learn about the fascinating origins of your favorite Christmas food, drink, observances, and songs. Discover how St. Nicholas, a 4th century Catholic bishop, became Santa Claus and who Santa's global competitors are. Some of them will shock you. <laughs> so I just ordered it for He'll probably listen to this before Christmas. So, yeah. So tell us a little bit about sort of scope and sequence. Oh, uh, I had a great, great fun writing this book. And I tried no to answer every question about every Christmas tradition. And I try to do it uh, during the entire season. So I go from Advent to as late as February 2nd. Cool. Okay. And then... Do you, uh, so it's done chronologically then? Mm, more or less, yes. Because the, the first, well, the first chapter is on the okay. history of Christmas. So I give a wide overview. Okay. The controversies about December 25th okay. as the date of uh, Jesus's birthday. And then I, I go through the, the tumultuous right. history of the celebration of Christmas in you know early church middle ages reformation etc and then the modern christmas um okay and then from that what's that so this is clearly a homeschooling book oh sure yeah it's clearly well, a homeschooling it, book believe me it's really fascinating <laughs> and, and when you learn the history of christmas you learn the history of the west you know the the way that uh say the reformers responded to christmas uh tells you a lot about the the history of the period right. um but then to answer your question, so right. the rest of the book is pretty much chronological. Start with Advent, then we get okay. into Christmas, and we do a deep dive into December 25th, and then we do the 12 days of Christmas, and then we do the 
after 12 Days of Christmas. Would this be a good read aloud? It's sounding to me by the way you're describing it. Kind of a cool thing to sit around during the Christmas season, read out loud to your kids, and kind of explore Christmas in that way. Would you say so? I would say so. Okay. And I think some of the chapters, some of the chapters are written like uh, a, a full-length essay on a subject, like the history okay. of Christmas. But other chapters are more almost like bullet points, just because of the nature of the topic. So, for example, right. Santa Santa's gift givers is like a little dictionary of, oh, okay. in alphabetical order, of uh, the different uh, gift givers around the world. Um, oh, okay. There's a chapter on Christmas carols, and those are in chronological order, or excuse me, alphabetical Beautiful. order. And right. um, uh, it, it's the brief story behind the composition of some of our favorite Christmas songs. Okay, what a beautiful gift. How long was this in the making? Oh, it took a it took a good year. Uh, okay. So part of the th- part of the reason why uh, it what didn't take longer is that I had been in a sense researching Christmas for a long time and came right. out with articles on different subjects. Okay. And then uh, Regnery, my publisher of Drinking with the Saints, approached me and said, "Have you ever thought of a Christmas book?" And I right. said, "Absolutely." And I already had a foundation on which to build. Okay. Okay. So a lot of that was already there and went into book format kind of thing. Okay. So were you running a lot of this past your family as you were doing it? Oh, absolutely. Especially my wife, Alexandra, over the happy hour. Uh, Right. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) It was good. But then, you know, you really can't talk about Christmas in the off season. At least people aren't as interested. So... Yeah, I think my least favorite part of the book was that I had to do the final edits in July, and oh. <laughs> uh, July in Central Texas. Right. Okay. You are not thinking about candy canes and sugar plums, uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so it just felt really weird writing about Christmas in Texas bet. July. <laughs> so when did it actually hit the shelves? Came out in September. September. Okay. Just a couple months ago. Okay, that's great. Yeah, super excited about it. Okay, so here's, I have a kind of a big question I want to ask you. Uh, And it kind of comes from somewhere. But the question is kind of a two part question. Why do we love Christmas so much? Even non-Christians. You know, we, I told you we just got back from Europe. And one of the places we stayed, we were our last several days were in Paris. We were staying at a place there run by a, a lovely uh, a Parisian woman who was actually born in Paris, but she she is Moroccan. So her um, her family is not Christian, obviously. So she's not really anything. You know, her family didn't continue practicing their religion. And she, she, you know, she's not really anything. But she loves Christmas. She runs this little hotel. The whole thing is all splashy for Christmas. And her family, um, you know, who are from a Muslim background, love Christmas. They, but they practice Christmas, right? And they're not Christians. And, and I remember being a little kid and not as a non-Christian and kind of thinking, Hmm, I don't really know what this is all about, but what the heck, right? Why? And and I think it it helps us to keep alive something that's really really important, and we can get cynical about that, but I don't think we should. Why do you think people love Christmas? It's such a great question, and I honestly don't have a definitive answer, but I do love to speculate. I mean, one thing that's fascinating yeah. is even from an Orthodox Catholic perspective, uh, I think Catholics. Many Catholics feel that Christmas is their favorite time of year, 
But from a strictly theological perspective, it is not as important as Easter Sunday, right? I'll venture a guess. One of the greatest feelings on earth is the feeling of coziness, which I define as comfort in the midst of discomfort, right? So, you know, the Corona beer commercial with a couple on a warm tropical beach and they're enjoying their beer. Hey, awesome. They're savoring the moment, but they're not cozy. Cozy is when the weather outside is frightful, but inside the fire is so delightful. And um, when you combine that with the birth of a child who happens to be divine, um, you you put all those, you know, all those elements together, you just get a really warm feeling about Christmas. Yeah, those are really, yeah, beautiful speculation. Um, It's interesting. So my home, my podcast is the subtitle is it's make joy normal, cozy homeschooling. Cozy is a big word for me because I think that it's one of those things that we, we, we want as a family, we want coziness, right? And so, yeah, Christmas really does exemplify that. And even in places that aren't cold, they're trying to sort of emulate coziness. You know, my daughter lived in Florida for a year going to Ave Maria down there. And, you know, she said, starting December, you know, it's hot and it's humid and people are wearing tubes, <laughs> you know, and like sort of little kind of fake mitts. And with the idea, like sort of they're, they're doing Christmas, you know, they're doing cozy. That's exactly right. And since you're a fan of Cozy, Bonnie, have you heard of Huga? No. Oh, look up Huga. I'm not... Oh, is this the Swedish um, like decor kind of H-U-G-G-E? It's something like that. That's right. Yeah. Remember the, uh, okay. the correct spelling. It's Scandinavian, and it's not just an aesthetic. It's it's a whole way of life during the long winter months. There, okay. there are special uh, handmade socks just for Huga. Uh, you right. come over to someone's house and you put on your huga socks and cuddle up in front of the fire Aww. and warm drinks. And uh, it's just a wonderful, wonderful tradition. But it's very much like, you know, our idea of coziness. Right. OK. So and again, in Texas, you probably don't get the opportunity for huga very often. <laughs> Not as much. I mean, we do get a colder winter than than Florida. So we we right. do get the sense of uh the, the need for a good fire at night. But we don't get a white Christmas. No, exactly. We, we live on Vancouver Island, which is the warmest spot in Canada, right? So winter, I mean, we have a bit of snow right now, but winter is not like people think t- typically of a Canadian winter. We often have a green Christmas and, you know, it's not warm, but it's, uh, you know, usually kind of rainy and drizzly, you know. So, but there is something attractive about that. I've got a daughter in Ontario, you know, that that they're literally cozying up for, you know, four months of the year kind of thing. So, so yeah, there's something, there's something attractive about that for sure. I've often wondered too, if... If the the baby that, that you mentioned too, because I think that's a big factor for me, it's a big factor and was as a kid, uh, that that what's nicer than a baby? What smells nicer than a baby? What's more, um, reminds you more of the hope in the world than a baby, right? But I also think, what are your thoughts on just being able to, um, to kind of witness at Christmas time, right? How do we witness, um, you know, and support people? Because because I think that we can become cynical, and, and I don't think we should. I think that we we need to capitalize on the fact that people are feeling good feelings, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, one small thing, and it's not meant in any way to be provocative, but I I do believe in wishing people a merry Christmas. 
as opposed to hop, happy holidays. Yeah, season's greetings. <laughs> exactly. And if you know someone's a, a non-believer, I, um, I had a colleague at Baylor, and I forgot that he was Jewish. Right. Um, and so I said, Merry Christmas. And uh, he got that a lot working at a, at a Baptist university. Yeah. And he would simply say in response, Shalom. <laughs> um, and I thought that was very gracious of him. And then I would remember sure. next time, you know, to wish him a happy Hanukkah or, you know, so you're not going to be, I don't want to be a jerk uh, yeah. and, and weaponize Merry Christmas. Yeah. But, but I mean it when I say Merry Christmas. Yeah. Um, uh, another thing besides coziness is merriment. Mm-hmm. And merriment is, is a very valuable gift. It's, it's different than fun. Fun yeah. is something you can have by yourself. Mm-hmm. Merriment presupposes community. Yeah. It presupposes fellowship. And to me, it seems that when you are wishing someone a Merry Christmas, you're saying more than have a fun holiday. Mm-hmm. You're almost invoking a blessing on them. Yeah, that's a, that's what went through my mind when you said that. It's like you're saying, you know, have a blessed, this is a blessed season. I bless you. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. So I'm, I'm saying that because I really will the good to the person I'm mm-hmm. saying Merry Christmas to. I don't know if you found this, but we found for a few years there, maybe about 10 years ago or 15 years ago, there was a sort of like people were not saying Merry Christmas. There was sort of a, almost a movement, you know, of happy holidays. And and I we find now that there's been a total backlash to that. Like every store has Merry Christmas. It's easy to find cards that say Merry Christmas. And for a while there, it wasn't. And I think people just sort of got tired of like, this is dumb. Why, you know, we're actually celebrating Christmas here. Yes, I've noticed the same yeah. thing, and okay. it, it's it's nice to see the culture actually improve. Uh, yeah, you know, rather than just keep going downhill. So yeah, so I, I, I welcome this change. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, what other than the fact that you had articles, um, what was sort of your particular driving force? Like, is it your own? Is it your own um, sort of affinity for Christmas or what you see around you? What was what's sort of the driving force behind writing the book in the first place? Well, as you know, I've always been interested in the liturgical year. Yeah. So uh, these sorts of uh, seasonal uh, topics are, are near and dear to my heart. Yeah. But like everyone else as a kid, I was fascinated by Christmas. There's nothing else like it in in the Western world when it comes to the year. There's mm-hmm. there's no season so saturated with symbols mm-hmm. as as the Christmas season. And, but growing up, a lot of these symbols confused me. They're not self explanatory. Mm-hmm. You know why why holly <laughs> and not boxwood? Uh, <laughs> what is the deal with right. the Christmas tree? Uh, and and why do we kiss under the mistletoe? So these were questions as a kid I always had and. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, as an adult, I was able to do a deep dive into them and get some answers. Yeah, well, it's a great idea because you get tired of Googling those things. You know, like <laughs> we have a policy that in our dining room and living room, we don't have devices, right? We don't have phones and devices because I want people interacting. But those questions come up quite regularly, too, especially this time of year, you know, like why? And so, you know, somebody will go out of the room and Google it. <laughs> come back I'll have the answer for you right you know so so it's great I love I love compendiums of that sort and I think that uh, that will benefit from it for sure um, and I, I am proud to say that uh, this is better than you could do with a mere internet search because yeah. one of the things I discovered is that there are myths about Christmas myths mm. and so 
If you look up the origins of the Christmas tree online, you're going to get a wide array of answers. Oh, yeah. Martin Luther invented it. Yeah. Oh, it's a holdover from the pagan Yuletide tradition. Right. They're all wrong. Hmm. For the answer, you got to get my book. Okay, we'll get the book. <laughs> so when I um when I was growing up, as I said, like we grew up in a in a um a non-Christian home. Uh, I was the only person who became Christian. Uh, and we had, you know, some family traditions, but our traditions weren't really based on anything, right? And, and around Christmas, we had a few sort of traditions that, you know, in a way, like I still look back and I think there was really no explanation for them. Uh, it, it's just that they had probably done what, you know, their parents had done and, you know, my parents. And when I, when I became Catholic, I was in my late twenties when I became Catholic, what jazzed me the most about the church, you know, probably Jesus should have jazzed me the most, but one of the things that jazzed me the most, I had a hard time wrapping my brain around Jesus. I really did. And, uh, was the tradition and the depth of the tradition. And I fell in love with that first. And it was almost like my my love affair with Jesus and my love affair with Mary and my love affair with the saints developed uh, after the my understanding of those traditions was I was exposed to them and I started to deepen my understanding of, of some of the traditions that, that we had and that my husband had, he's French Canadian, right? So there was lots of tradition um, that he didn't really know why they did it. He just knew that they did it and we wanted to continue on with those things. Um, and so, you know, the, I think we love tradition. I think we love uh, knowing how things are going to roll out. We love revisiting something every year. We love doing that sort of thing. What do you think it is in human, I don't, I'm asking some big questions here, but what do you think it is about human nature that so deeply desires tradition? Because I think it's yeah. right across the board. Well, I mean, first of all, speaking of your story, it, it, it makes sense. And I guess the, the model that you followed was, uh, come for the tradition, stay for Jesus. And, and, <laughs> hey, whatever works, right? Exactly. What did Malcolm Mugridge say? Whatever brings you to the foot of the cross. That's what that's right, exactly. Yeah. So especially today, we live in a deracinated society, right? There's mm -hmm. just a lot of rootlessness. Yeah. Uh, we're moving around all the time. We're changing careers all the time. Um, and then there's just a, the customs themselves in secular society mm -hmm. change so rapidly. So the, the church as kind of an anchor of stability, mm -hmm. I think is very attractive to a lot of people. And it is and should be an anchor of stability. Mm -hmm. But of course, as you rightly point out, um, it's an anchor of stability that allows you then to meet the person of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, so that the tradition is there, obviously not as a substitute, for a, I hate to put it in this way, for a relationship with Jesus. Right. Um, but it's it's a gateway. Um, yeah. So we're not traditionalist in the sense that tradition is at the center. Yes. Uh, uh, I mean, I consider myself a traditionalist Catholic in a lot of ways, yeah. but I have to always qualify with people what I mean by that. I, yeah. I like the old traditions. Yeah. But But it's not as a substitute for a relationship with God. Right. And it's and the traditions the need to be there to support that, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. God so, is stable and so are his traditions. Yeah. 
I'm not sure how things rolled out in your family. Maybe you can share this with us. But for us, as a you know, as a um, baby Catholic, and my husband and I first got married, and all of that, I, you know, and again the overwhelmedness of being Catholic and what you know, all the possibilities, thinking that I had to do them all to be a good Catholic, right? That that we slowly added traditions into our life because I think that can be a bit overwhelming. My my audience is primarily younger families, uh, often with a houseful, and. Uh, it was one of those things that felt really um, kind of overwhelming to me. So we decided that we would just sort of start with a one tradition. And then when that became kind of habitual, um, uh, comfortable, easy, then we would add in another tradition. So what happened was every two or three years, we would add in something new to the point where when we started having, you know, teenagers, we had a very rich, uh, you know, Christmas tradition that we were, uh, that we were doing. Did it, did it, sort of roll out similarly for you? Absolutely. I think yeah. that's such a good policy, especially with new Catholics or or new families. You could be yeah. an old Catholic, but still have a new family. Yeah. One thing we Catholics have to be on guard against is uh, scrupulosity. Um, and so... Can you define that for my listeners, just, just so that they know where you're coming from? Oh, sure. So it's... Scrupulosity is where you have this nagging sense of guilt or anxiety that you're not doing things right. Um, your sins haven't been fully forgiven. Um, it's this constant, it's a particular kind of self nagging. Mm-hmm. And falling short, feeling like you're falling short too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So on one end of the spectrum is you don't care, right? right. You've got no guilt, no remorse for anything you do. Right. But there is an opposite end of the spectrum, which is also dysfunctional, mm-hmm. and, and it is scrupulosity. The sweet spot is somewhere in between those two extremes. Mm-hmm. And um, it's very easy as um, as a parent to think, oh my gosh, there are all these traditions I should be exposing to my children, and I'm not doing it. I'm such a lazy cafeteria Catholic. Oh, but no, 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 no. Um, you, you build a family culture slowly and organically. Yes. You know, for one thing, you try to shove all these traditions down their throat right away. They may rebel. They're like, I'm sick of this. You know, they, they can see the anxiety be, be yeah. behind all this. Right. Yeah. And so there may be actually be a backlash. It may lead to the opposite effect of what mm-hmm. you want. But if you just initiate it slowly and joyfully mm-hmm. and authentically, mm-hmm. um, it's organic development. You know, you you just let let the seed be nourished, mm-hmm. um, and then yeah, like you said, add add on later. When I feel like your book is going to help people uh, uh, choose from the smorgasbord of traditions that they could uh, include into their family life. You know, and if they read through, even if they read through part of the book this year and part of it next year, whatever, they don't have to include all of those things. But uh, but it gives you pause to sort of um, learn how to develop what, what you'd like to develop in your family, how to develop it, but also the possibilities for the future. Right. That's absolutely right. And uh, in no way do I think you should try to incorporate everything from the book. Right. For one thing, I, I try to be exhaustive in telling you just how the world celebrates Christmas. Yes. So that means there are customs that did grow up organically in very different cultures in the same way that plants grow up organically in very different climates. 
And you don't take a plant from one climate and plant it in another and expect the same results. Yeah. Uh, so um, I think it's okay to be eclectic. Uh, I, I, when it comes to fun customs, I, I'm totally eclectic. I'll pick and choose from around the world. But by the same token, you do have to do so somewhat selectively. Yeah, because especially if you have young children and you don't, you don't want to create a lot of workload for yourself, right? <laughs> so, right. I have a, a, I just have a sense from the books that I've read of yours, uh, and just you talking about this book and about you know your own family life that that joy really matters to you, right? That uh, that to be joyful really matters. Uh, and one of the things that I ponder on quite a bit in my own life is that I feel like when we talk about, you know, um, God, where, you know, God is, you know, true and beautiful and good. And, and those are the things that we should be seeking true and beautiful good. And I feel like to be joyful, to be to, to create merriment in your life to create um, that is it's the, it's like the human emotion manifestation of beauty. So I feel like joy is the human emotion manifestation of beauty and something I ponder a lot because we can do many beautiful things, but if we don't do them with a warm heart, you know, or it would be better to not do something than to do it under angst, right? Because, because your family will pick up on that because it's not going to be spiritually rich for you. The tinier thing you can do, you know, even some years you're pregnant and you can't handle the, you know, whatever, do something very, very small, buy, you know, pre-made cutout cookies and just, you know, put raisins on them for eyes or whatever you do. Make it really small, small enough that you can still have the joy because that's really what this is all about. That's exactly right. And I also think of joy as a very powerful tool of evangelization. Mm -hmm. um, when I, I think Catholics have great resources to be joyful. Mm -hmm. uh, for one thing, besides the sacraments and the truth, we have a culture of merriment. Yeah. Um, so, and those are the kinds of things I'm trying to promote in the, in the books that I write. Mm -hmm. But I think that culture of merriment is, uh, is attractive. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and is a good witness to the, the joy of Christianity. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Thank you for the work that you do. It's, it's fabulous. Um, so just one, one last question here. I just want you to leave us with something profound. Okay. <laughs> what is, <laughs> just, just pull that up. Okay. Uh, what is one thing our listeners might do to, to begin or to add to developing traditions in their own home? What's one little sort of step? If they're feeling overwhelmed by the idea, it's one little step they can take. Okay. I don't know if, if this is a little step or a big step. It, <laughs> it, it, it honestly depends on your... Do you want to go check course. with your wife? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it's... Uh, well, it, it, in large part, it may depend on your work schedule. And right. How flexible you are in taking days off. Right. But... Um, in general, one thing I recommend is to try to resist the commercial uh, Christmas season, which seems mm -hmm. to start earlier and earlier each year. Yeah. Um, you know, here in Texas, I saw um, jack-o'-lanterns and Christmas trees side by side in the store. I mean, it wow. used to be you would at least wait to the day after Thanksgiving before you <laughs> unleashed you know, all the, all the Christmas stuff. Yeah. Um, so the, so the longer this commercial season lasts, the more likely it is that by the time you get to December 25th, 
you're sick of Christmas. <laughs> you're, right. you're, you're sick of the music on the airwaves. You're sick of it. You want That's the tree really down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my recommendation is, you know, you don't have to be a Grinch about this whole thing, but but try to restrain yourself in the weeks prior to Christmas. I mean, sure, mm-hmm. go to the office party or whatever, but, you know, try not to uh, get into that kind of indulgent spirit. Mm-hmm. Restrain during Advent. Be joyful, but a little bit of restraint. And then mm-hmm. from December 25th to the Feast of the Epiphany, observe the 12 days of Christmas, Beautiful. which used to be this period of unbroken merriment. Mm-hmm. It's during those 12 days that you should pull out all the stops and have right. 12 days of you know, Christmas songs and mulled wine and, and joy. Um, Beautiful. So that's, that's the goal. I know, you know, people's work schedules can't always accommodate yeah. that, but as much as you can keep it, try to keep it that mm-hmm. way. Well, you know, and even if you couldn't, uh, if you couldn't actually take time off work, you know, if you could make sure that you come home and your evenings are spent with your family doing something really different uh, that is, you know, geared at fun and whatever, you know, whatever that means in your, for your family. But uh, yeah, that's great advice because it doesn't cost anything. No, it doesn't. And my book contains lots of fun customs that were once done during the 12 days okay. of Christmas. And they're pretty zany. I'll, I'll warn you right now. <laughs> okay, that's great. Well, I'm going to, um, I'll, I'll sign off there. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. Just stay on the line when I, um, after we say goodbye, and I'll uh, just want to chat with you about a couple logistics about the book. So, uh, so God bless you. And thank you so much, my reader. My listeners will, uh, will enjoy this immensely, I'm sure. Thank you, Bonnie. Okay, God bless.